Welcome to the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast featuring Peter Bell and Nick Fulweiler. This is a show about Christian doctrine for everyone from the historic Reformed tradition, delivered by two friends in an unscripted dialogue. Join us as we discuss how the finished work of Jesus Christ changes everything. Welcome everybody to another episode of the Guilt Grace Gratitude Podcast here with Nick Fulweiler and Peter Bell. How's it going, Nick? I'm doing great. Another day of fresh grace and mercy. And this is part two of the law and the gospel, which is going to be more of an emphasis on the gospel aspects. So please, 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 uh, if you have not heard part one, the law, please go back and do that because it's really fundamental to understanding the gospel fully. Yeah, we want you to feel very burdened and terrible about yourself so that you can go (laughs) into the gospel and feel amazing. The, yeah, underlines the guilt part, the 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 overwhelming uh, humility that you should feel from the law. Yeah, kind of so, kidding, but kind of not kidding. Both right, as a yeah. Christian and as a non-Christian, but yeah, getting a fuller sense of the gospel to, to listen to part one. Yeah. So we'll jump right in. Um, the gospel, which is the good news, um, mm-hmm. and it's jesus christ coming as our lord and savior uh just to quickly kind of get us up to this point uh a few bullet points i have is how uh, from the beginning of the bible to where we are now would be start with the fall of humanity from adam disobeying god's first law and commandment Mm -hmm. to uh abraham and his family getting a restart of god's covenant since adam and eve and many 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 years prior yeah moses brings god's people to abundance to restart there in the promised land of israel Mm -hmm. then israel keeps repeating over and over the cycle of humanity rebelling against god and going into destruction but god keeps to his covenant and his people and rescues them over and over and over again that's the overlying uh what keeps happening in the old testament and then uh prophets told people of israel god is going to directly come and save all nations in creation bringing god's kingdom to earth which is prophesizing the messiah and the gospel yeah i see a lot of that in like isaiah and and whatnot yep um and overall it's to show god's entire biblical story to fulfillment so that is what brings us here I want to ask you the first question. Um, how can we explain that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law? Yeah, so he says it directly in the Gospels, and then that's explained in the epistles, and then um, shown in the, uh, in the fullness and in the, um, at the end and kind of throughout history with Revelation. Um, but he is the fulfillment. He's the one who Isaiah talks about in Isaiah 53. And he is the, um, the true prophet who Moses points towards. He is the true king who David points towards. And the true priest who Aaron and the Levites point towards. So he's the one who both is the law, fulfills the law, and then gives his obedience to us as well. Um, and that's with uh i think at the end of john it's john 1930 saying it is finished which is both his uh death is finished and his obedience on our behalf is also finished as well and in a couple other portions of the gospels 
He says, I have not come to abolish the law to make it null, to make it ineffective. I've actually come because it is effective and I've done it myself. I've obeyed the law on your behalf in my own life, in my own obedience. So that's, that's what it is for Jesus to fulfill the law on our behalf mm-hmm. and be the gospel for us. Amen. As believers, I think it's really important that we understand how to uh, explain and convey and articulate the gospel. I think it's the, the foundation of our faith. And mm-hmm. I've, I think it's just uh, very odd when, um, you know, I don't know if there's blame to be put on this or that, that but when, you know, there are people that aren't able to explain the gospel. And, you know, it, it, you know, I'm not putting too much blame on those people because it's tough because um, they might not been able to, for much of my life, I had a hard time articulating it. Yeah, and same here. Especially yeah. to an unbeliever. Yeah, especially to an unbeliever, you know, I'd give a long-winded fumble <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> explanation and I confused myself. But not, yeah, we've gotten better. So this is why I want to ask this question too. Yeah concisely get us on the same page how would you explain the gospel to an unbeliever which is really fully justice fully grace fully sacrifice and fully love yeah so i guess in the most concise way possible we have a relationship with our creator god he gave us laws in order to image him in order to be his covenant bearers or be his image bearers we failed that law we transgressed that law we disobeyed that law and throughout history of the israelite church you see that over and over and over again and then christ comes obeys the law on our behalf becomes that person that mediator who we cannot do this on our own through his obedience and the application of the spirit he gives us gospel obedience he gives us law obedience and through his obedience we are now able to be in the future and right now in the presence of God, as opposed to before, we were cast out of the garden, we were cast out of the tent, we were cast out of the tabernacle, cast out of the palace, cast out of God's presence. And so the gospel is the obedience of Jesus given to us through the Spirit, so that we can be in the presence of the Holy God who created us. Yeah, amen. And I think in the previous episode, we did say a few things that helped articulate it as well. So uh, please do listen to that. And I think one of them um, was God saved us from himself, by himself, for himself. Yep. I mean, he yeah, totally. For us, with us. Yeah. He didn't save us from the devil because the devil is no. a created being. Saved, them, right. saved us from himself. Yeah, totally. His own, his own wrath, really, because yep. his yep. own... Uh, there's no way with his divine perfection and holiness that we can even go near him. And totally. yeah. explained in the Old Testament when they could go near the Ark of the Covenant and things like that. Um, yeah. A lot of sacrificial or uh, things that they need to do to obey the law, not because uh, just, to, just to cleanse themselves to. Yeah, to be in the presence. Right. So. Um, when we look at the the four gospels, which are the four, the, we could really say the entire Bible is the good news. It's all oh, yeah. Jesus, which is 
technically the you could make a case that the entire Bible is the gospel. But when we yep. talk about the four main gospel books people talk about, which is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Yeah. Which um Mark is actually uh pretty proven to be the oldest. I mean Mark, I'm sorry, Mark is actually pr- proven to be really the oldest one of them, even though yep. He doesn't come first. Uh, yeah, dictated by Peter, written down by some scribe, and it was attributed to Mark, one of the apostles. Right. Yep. Yeah. So, like you said, it's more from Peter's account. Um, yep. Mark was, like you said, maybe Peter's scribe or something or like Mark that. was a scribe. We're not super sure who the scribe was. Okay. Okay. And then. Um, really the main theme of the book of Mark is that time has been, the time has been fulfilled. The Messiah is here. The first, it's the first and oldest book, a new start for humanity. Jesus as the second Adam. Yeah. Okay. And then the, the uh, book of Matthew is, which who Matthew is, is he's one of the 12 disciples and he was an ex tax collector and turned into one of the disciples. Yep. So he he's really uh, good about this book is really good about him speaking to the Jewish people, but not limited to the, just them. Yeah. Uh, yep. Yeah. Really focuses on Jesus as the greater Moses. Great. Yeah, greater Moses and the fulfillment of Israel. Okay. And the, what we do see in the book of Matthew, a lot is genealogies list uh, a lot of, uh, I'm a big fan of like ancestry.com and things like that. Yeah. Genealogies. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this one's pretty cool where it really ties Jesus all the way back to the royal son of David. Yeah. 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 So um, with Luke, Luke was actually by trade, he was a doctor from Greece, right? Yeah. Yeah. Some sort of physician of some sort. Nobody's super sure, but he's some sort of physician. Okay. Um, what that book is really good is speaking to the Gentiles, right? Yeah, Gentile, and he's also the kind of the Greek original of the, the Gospel of Luke is, is written in probably the most concrete historical pattern that we have of the four Gospels. So you can tell just by his writing and how he structures his sentences and the words that he uses that he borrows from the first century and before that he was trained well as a historian. Mm, okay. And he worked closely, yeah, with the Apostle Paul. Yep. Yeah. So he had a, a bunch of accounts, knew Paul, traveled with them. Um, so we can we can rest assured that he was he knew what he was doing when he wrote down the gospel. And some people say, do I have this right, that the book of Acts is kind of like Luke part two? Yep, part two. Yep. Okay. So there, I guess <clears throat> the kind of the conventional reason that we have two different parts luke and acts is legitimately because luke is our is our longest gospel by far even though matthew has 28 chapters if you look at length of the gospel luke is a little bit longer mm-hmm. uh, and then what they would do is they couldn't fit so the the kind of the form that was written on so a paperous kind of document if you think of like a thick paper um it was just long enough to fit one gospel on it and so technically, it's supposed to be written as one account. So you're supposed to read from Luke 1 to Acts 28 as like a holistic portion of the gospel. But it, it could only fit on two different papyri. It could only fit on two different documents. So that's why we have two separate, two separate accounts. 
Okay. And then the book of John, um, the most recent gospel written, which is, yeah. is one of the 12 disciples. Uh, mm-hmm. He also wrote Revelation. Yep, Revelation in the first through third John. The epistles. Okay. And it's really focused on how, they, how Yahweh, the God of Israel, has become human. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I mean, it is zeroed in on Jesus is the Christ. Mm-hmm. He is the Son of God. I think a lot of the most popular, you know, verses we hear today, people uh, kind of list out, or are from John usually. Yeah, I mean, it's it's just so ridiculously beautifully written, mm-hmm. um, and it's also of all four gospels, it's the easiest Greek to read. Um, See, so he he read he wrote it at a lay level. He wrote it for your average Christian to be able to read easier than you can read the other three gospels Mm -hmm. true so if someone's an unbeliever or just new to the bible and they are uh and they want to get right into it uh, these the way we categorize these kind of help like navigate your mind but typically do you usually recommend john first yeah i think i think john gives the most theological categories Mm -hmm. around jesus Mark is kind of the faster-paced, action-packed one. Um, So it depends on kind of what they're looking for. If you want theological categories, you probably go to John. If you go to kind of quick, fast, highlighted, action-packed Christianity, um, you go to Mark. If you go to um, the fulfillment of Israel as the typical son, the one who points towards the true son of Jesus, you go to Matthew. And if you want uh, just a rock-solid historical account that takes into consideration a lot of different manuscripts and a lot of different witnesses, you go to Luke. That's where my personal one, uh, I, I just kind of gravitate towards Luke for some reason. I really, yeah. It matches with my personality. So Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing with John is it does put an emphasis on that the the kingdom of God comes through his love and self-sacrifice. The resurrection is the dawn of new creation, right? Yeah, that's, it's hit upon in the prologue. So John 1, 1 through 14 um, connects creation with the son of God that that kingdom has come now in a spiritual way and points to the physical kingdom. Cool, cool. Okay, back to some some rough curveball questions for you. Oh boy, here we go. Uh, so people either think that the gospel means Jesus usually accepts everyone, no matter what, which is kind of like all grace, no standard or justice, um, or um, people think that Jesus is nearly impossible path to heaven, too narrow, not realistic, too difficult to please. How can we respond to both those? Yeah, um, this one's this one's hard, and I, I think you have to take elements of both. Um, and I, it comes from in, incorrect, either too narrow or too broad idea of what the gospel is. So sometimes the gospel turns into this substance where people tell you, "Hey, be the gospel," or um, show a little bit of the gospel to your friend, or or be like whatever the context may be, instead of seeing the gospel as 
the historical obedience of Christ on our behalf. And so I think that changes the game a little bit, um, which the gospel is not just kind of free grace, free, free favor. If you have a proper understanding of the law, where the law is all have, fall, all have fallen short and sinned. I mean, they have fallen below the standard of, of what God has required of us to be in his presence. And so having a proper understanding of the law will show you like, no, it's the gospel is not free favor in the sense where there is no obedience required on our behalf. The gospel is the obedience required on our behalf um, because we failed under the law. So that, that answers the first question where it's not just, hey, here is it for everybody. There's no law. It's just like Jesus loves everybody. It's like, no, Jesus obeyed on your behalf and he loves you because he obeyed on your behalf. Um, he loves us believers because he obeyed on our behalf. And the second part, I think, is when a lot of believers and unbelievers tend to look at the gospel as the law, where there is no gospel. There's this, there's this term called gospel, which is the gospel and the law mm. kind of combined into one, where Christianity becomes moral imperatives. It becomes be a better person, pray more, read your Bible more often, give to the poor, give to orphans. Um, fight for justice issues, which none of those things are wrong. In and of oh, they're themselves. all great. Yeah, yeah. we all yeah. call to do those things. Yeah. yeah, but when it turns into this is what it means to be a Christian, this is the gospel, that's mm -hmm. when the gospel turns from free obedience on Jesus's behalf for us into these are the things you must do to become a Christian. And that's when I think people see Christianity as just a set of laws too narrow because technically – Technically, it is too much. The gospel requires of us too much, technically, without the mediator, without the one who does this on our behalf. And I think that's where a lot of Christians and a lot of sermons go wrong, where they say, hey, do all these things, have fantastic faith, have all the faith in the world, move mountains, be a better person, be nicer to your husband, be nicer to your wife, treat your kids well, find a husband, find a whatever it may be where you turn moral imperatives into the gospel. And that's when it becomes like, this is impossible. I can't do this stuff. Like, I can't be the best husband. I can't be a perfect husband. But when you know that the gospel is, no, Jesus was that perfect husband. Jesus was that perfect father. Jesus was that perfect son. Jesus was the perfect everything. And when he gives you that obedience, that allows you freedom to say, you know what? I have the example now I can be a better father. Now I can image the perfect one right now. So that's, that's where I think that second question goes, goes astray. They turn the law into the gospel. And here's the really good news of that. It's not just was, he is. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he's still reigning at the right hand yeah. of the father. Yeah, I mean – when you explain the whole gospel and everything that he did and all the, you know, going to the cross, resurrecting. And then at the end, you're like, Oh, by the way, he's still doing, he's still uh, doing these things and yeah. complete and he's still alive and, and, yep. and he's still re reigning and ruling. He's in control of all leaders in the world. Yeah. Um, he's the King of King and the Lord of Lords. So, yep. um, so Jesus says in Matthew 7, 21, so chapter 7, verse 21 of Matthew, mm -hmm. 
Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Mm-hmm. So why well, I bring this up is at first it sounds like faith plus works. Yeah. Because, yeah. Calling, because calling him Lord isn't enough. How do we respond to this? Yeah, what's, what's interesting, so Matthew 7.21 comes at the end and again, this is, goes back to um, the episode, episode three on how to read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And we have to know what portion of scripture does this come in. And this comes in at the Sermon of the Mount. And that's within the Gospels. So that's pre-resurrection. So this is Christ's life and ministry. <clears throat> and it's in the Sermon on the Mount, which, like we talked about in how to read the Bible, is Jesus is showing his disciples and showing those listening to him. He is the true Moses. He's on top of a mountain. He first gives them the 10 Beatitudes corresponding to the 10 Commandments. Mm-hmm. He's telling them this is the new heaven, like moral. This is, this is who heaven citizens are. This is not to become a heavenly citizen, to become a heaven-bound saint. This is what you must do. He's saying because of the gospel, because of my obedience, this is what heavenly citizens are. So this is what we can look forward to. And this is also, we can see images of this in the church. We can see images of this with believers. And so that comes at the end of this, these three chapters in the Sermon on the Mount. And so a lot of it kind of amounts to um, some sort of law and then some sort of gospel putting to each other. But in Matthew seven twenty one, so again, coming towards the end of the Sermon on the Mount, he says, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven I think he's speaking pretty literally. The only one who can see my father is the one who does his will. And this is, again, we have to know what is he talking about and who is he talking to? So he's talking to potentially some sort of mixed crowd, either Jews or Gentiles or a mixture of both. And he's saying, I think effectively, you can't call the Lord's name without me between you and the Lord. So don't say, Lord, Lord, and expect to be saved on your own behalf. Because that means you have to do the will of my father if you want to see him on your own. When you have the mediator, that's the one who does the will of the father. And he's the one who brings you to the father through him. So I think when Christ says that, he's like, I think he really is saying, like, if you don't have the mediator, if you don't have the one in between, if you don't have that Moses figure, you can't see the father. You have to follow the father's will. You have to obey the father's will in order to see him, but because of me, because I'm the one who stands in between you and the Father, because I'm the one who does the will of the Father, you come through me, not on your own. Okay. So circling that back would be most likely the will of the Father is to follow Christ. I think the will of the Father, because if you look at how that, that those, those words are used in other portions of Scripture, it tends to talk about the commandments. So it says, these are the things you must do. These are, this is the will of the Father. So I think, it's, I think it's another way of saying, follow the Lord's commands and you can come into his presence. But we know that's impossible for believers. And right. I think Christ is pointing that out. Again, we have to understand what's his context. He's effectively reenacting. He's fulfilling the Exodus 20 account. He's fulfilling the Ten Commandments. He's saying, this is what it points towards. Got it. Okay. Um, 
a great Old Testament book that points to the prophecy of Jesus as the Messiah, as as the gospel, is Isaiah. And I I think if I have this correct, I see I looked it up and there's 351 prophecies in the Old Testament, in the entire Old Testament that Jesus that Jesus came and fulfilled. Yeah. So if I have that number right and everything I said was correct, why is this overwhelming proof? Yeah, he's pointing towards the one who's to come. So there's he he's um in portions of Isaiah, he's that's the term that we we kind of quoted last last podcast last week was a covenant prosecutor. So he takes the Ten Commandments, he takes the moral law and he applies it to the situation of his context so it's probably 8th century bc um, and he's applying it to his context and saying one who's coming who you can't obey this here are all the things you can't obey and then he starts lining out this is how the mediator the one to come is going to obey this this is how he's going to obey this this is this is his ens- this is his essence this is his being so that's where you see the Isaiah 53 passage with the suffering servant. That's where you see Isaiah 7, Isaiah 9, Isaiah 11 with the Emmanuel, with the Virgin, um, Isaiah 45, Isaiah 55, Isaiah 58, 59, Isaiah 61, which is quoted in Luke 4, where um, Jesus goes into the synagogue and teaches on Isaiah 61, 1 and 2. And he says, this has been fulfilled in your presence. And so... All of it points towards some aspects of the priestly, kingly, prophet's um, character of who Christ is. Hmm, okay. What may need some clarification because it's commonly under uh, understood as contradictory is is why. Christianity is so hard, but also so easy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it's a it's a fully faith and no works kind of thing. Yeah. But G- so here's where it's contradictory and yeah. confused back and forth. So Jesus literally tells us, "Take up your cross." Yep. And it's like, wow, that's pretty heavy. <laughs> yeah. Took his cross up and he died. Um, yeah. And he also says, "My yoke is easy and my burden is light." Yeah. How do we make sense of this? Yeah, so again, it's understanding what portion of Scripture this comes into is Christ proclaiming law that points to his gospel, that points to his obedience, or is he pointing to his obedience in the fulfillment of some portion of the law? And I think so. This the first one comes from Luke 10 um, with uh, take up your cross, follow me, or it's Matthew 16. There's a couple other portions that, that talk about this. Um, but I think he's he's saying in order, in order again, for you to obtain heaven, to obtain obedience on your own, you must do the things that I'm doing, because I'm the one who's come to fulfill all of the law and the prophets, as Luke 24 says. Everything points towards me, because I'm the one who's coming to fulfill. This is my. This is the will of the Father. This is the thing that I do. And he talks about this in the high priestly prayer. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, not your will, or not my will, but your will be done. And again, that's that's commandment speak. That's God has a stipulation. He has a commandment that must be followed to be in his presence. And so Christ says, in order to do this on your own, you have to take up your cross and follow me. 
And there can be a couple of different ways of saying it's just, it's a following mandate. So it's belief. And I think it mm. has applications for both. There's also, there's both the, in order for you to do this on your own, you literally have to take up your cross. You have to die to yourself. You have to follow all the commandments. And there's also another portion with the Matthew 11 passage, um, which is my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And so that's referring I th pretty specifically to Levitical law, um, both in Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, talking about the yoke on top of an oxen being burdensome. And that same word for burden that's used in Matthew 11 is the same word used in um, Genesis 3, which is a curse on Adam. God or Yahweh tells Adam, because you've, you've transgressed my law, because you've transgressed of eating or not eating the fruit of this tree, you shall toil in the ground. And in the Greek translation of the Old Testament, that word used is the same word used in Matthew 11. And so what he's saying is, though in Adam, your burden is great, mm -hmm. my burden is light. Because I've done the burden of Adam, because I have taken up the burden and fulfilled it. And we can see that at the end, where the Greek word for uh, the Hebrew Shabbat that we talked about a while ago with Sabbath, mm -hmm. the Greek word is anapao, which is, again, it's to rest. And I think Jesus is very, very, very specifically saying, I am that rest. You are burdened under Adam. You're told to toil. You're told to work this ground. And it's not going to produce the stuff that you want to produce. I'm the one who worked and burdened under the law. And it does produce. And what it does produce is that rest. And that rest is that full rest, that Sabbath rest that we see in heaven. And I think both of those verses combine with the proper understanding of the context to say, Again, he's just hammering at home all throughout the Gospels. I have done it. I have obeyed. I have fulfilled. Believe me, and I give you my obedience. I give you my rest. I give you my yoke. I give you my burden, all of which, which, all of which is light. And that's compared to everything cursed on top of Adam. Hmm. A couple things that popped up in my head when you were talking about seventh, uh, the number seven, rest, mm -hmm. it keeps going back to the seventh day of creation. Oh, yeah. And Jesus was there during creation. He I mean, was well, He was the one, John 1 says, who was created through. Yeah. Yeah. See, he was the word, and he's begotten by God, and he's fully God. So he was the one doing all that. So he knew, I mean, this all kind of ties into they knew that he's going to be inheriting all the universe. Yeah. In the beginning. Yep. That's just so cool. Um, so here's, here's the big one, the big, yeah. most common <laughs> yeah. question I hear of. Uh, I, I, want, I, I have my own answer, but I definitely want to hear yours. Yeah, okay. So if Jesus came and fulfilled the law and the gospel has happened and yeah. he defeated evil he defeated sin he defeated death yeah so then why in this post-resurrection church age we're in is there still evil pain and suffering in the world yeah and this one's just rough because this is not just like a theoretical kind of theological discussion that we can have it's divorced from reality it's we all experience this 
right here, right now, we experience evil. And I think we experience it primarily in our own hearts and our own kind of dispositions or our inclination or desire to still sin every single day, every single second of the day. Um, though that's dying as, as we are conformed more and more to the image of Christ. Um, it's this dual aspect that we, we talked a little bit about in the end times um, podcast a little while ago. So if you guys want to listen to mm-hmm. that as well to get kind of a fuller explanation. Um, but it's this concept of the already and the not yet. So we share in the deposit because we've been given the Holy Spirit right now. So we have that hope, that firm hope of heaven, of communion with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in heaven. We have that absolutely firm hope that's been given to us right now. But at the same time, we don't have that fully as of yet. And I think there's there's also some sort, and this is not necessarily like strictly biblical, but there's also some sort of because of the the juxtaposition, the difference between evil and good we see the riches we see the the greatness of the gospel right now because we see the evil in this age today because satan still has kind of the the reins of this world and that's talked about throughout the new testament letters that he was he was loosed he was given he was given reign during the church age even Mm -hmm. though christ rules and reigns over the church and in a different way over over the state but we can go over that stuff later but it's it's the already and the not yet. We live in this fallen world still broken by sin because there are those who are not won and bought by Christ. And nations are not bought by Christ in the same sense that, that people are. But we are already guaranteed that future. So we have that inheritance. But we're pilgrims, as First Peter talks about. We're aliens. We're, we're not of this world. We are already purchased in the new world but we are, we are awaiting our time home. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not going to even add much to that. I, I couldn't have said it better. I mean, um, also I think of, it goes back to that question we had of God being all knowing and knowing everything before it happens. Why does he even still, why does he even create humans knowing that, those humans won't even be saved. Yeah. Humans that won't even be saved. So it kind of goes to that too. Yeah. Um, And our explanation, our answer to that, which was, uh, I believe the salvation episode episode two. Yep. Yeah. So listen to that one too. That'll help you out. Yeah. All to glorify himself. The Westminster confession of faith talks about in question one, Everything glorifies God, all of his providence, all of his, his works, all of his deeds, everything he does is to glorify himself. Jesus' claim that I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, which is John 14, 6. Yeah. Um, to six, how can we respond to the doubt that Jesus is the only way to heaven? Yeah, and that's this again plays on the contrast between the law and the gospel. If heaven is the, which it is, it's the eternal communion between God and his people, um, experiencing the rest that was foreshadowed in Genesis and given throughout the Old Testament. And to the New Testament, 
being in Christ. Um, there's two ways we get into heaven. There's the man-made way of um, taking the law on ourselves and trying to fulfill it on our behalf, which is all of the man-made religions. All of them are law in and of themselves. So Buddhism's a law. Um, Islam is a law. Judaism is a law. Every other religion that you can possibly think of are mandates. Do this and you will enter into heaven, which is man's attempt at fulfilling the law on his own behalf versus seeing Jesus as he is, as who he is, the mediator. So he is the true one. He, in Greek, is the aletheia. He is, like, he is, he is the very truth in and of himself. It's not just he is, he is true. He is, he is the truth. He is the fulfillment. He is the way. He is the road that leads towards heaven. He's a road that leads towards communion with the Father. Um, and he's a life. And life is not just life as we see it right now. Life is that full, obedient life with the Father, that eternal life that we have with the Father. And so we have to see all of those in Christ and see, okay, the only way, or there's, again, there's two ways. There's either we have to do it on our own or we enter it on somebody else's behalf. And since the only other one who's done it perfectly is Jesus, by default, he's the only way that we can obtain this heavenly rest is by his work. And that's where I think a lot of Christians have a hard time and people outside of the faith have a hard time where they can't understand what is the biblical understanding of heaven and all that's around that and seeing it as like, no, it's a standard. It's a standard of righteousness, but thank the Lord God that he gave us Jesus Christ in order that he would fulfill this on our behalf and we can enter into this rest through faith in the one who's done it for us. Hmm. Yeah, just as God is the creator of all, uh, Jesus is the savior of all. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, as I've said before, you know, I'm a big superhero Marvel fan. Yeah. <laughs> You've seen the Avenger movies, right? Yeah, we're going through it again right now, actually. We're, we're watching oh, cool. all of them in chronological order. Oh, I that's pretty intense. There's a lot of them. Uh, There's a whole lot. We're like halfway through Guardians 2 right now. Oh, cool. Um, so this kind of popped up in my head is like literally the only way it could happen. So uh, if, if you guys have not seen the first Avengers, uh, I don't know where you've been. <laughs> but <laughs> want to pause this, but yeah, uh, Tell us which rock you've been living under and we'll, we'll remove it. <laughs> yeah, so in, uh, it's not the... the final Avengers one, but the one before that where Thanos... Don't give it away. Yeah, where Thanos is in control. I'm not going to totally yeah. give it away. But this isn't the... Like, again, they, people should have seen this one. Yeah, so, so yeah, maybe you should give it away because people should see this. It's been <laughs> yeah. a little bit. So Thanos is, Thanos is in control. Long story short, uh, Doctor Strange calculates through his powers, calculates literally the only way to um save humanity literally yeah. the only way to combat what thanos did yep um and the only way to victory and uh -huh. it's like some insane high number and odds um, yeah. yeah where like he went through every single option that's even possible yeah i think it was like one in 43 trillion yeah something crazy so um Anyway, the whole point is there's literally only one way. That's the, the audience gets the, the understanding. It's like literally only one way. Yeah. 
all possibilities. That is the gospel. Like there's literally the way God had Jesus come down and save us from himself, by himself, for himself was the only way it could happen. Jesus coming down, fully God, fully man, living perfect life, uh, going to the cross, resurrecting, even the years that it happened, like God, everything, like perfectly planned. Um, Like you said, perfect, perpetual. Personal. Personal. um, Your three Ps. Like that is literally the only way it could happen. Yeah. The only way. And it wasn't because he found out or he decided it was in order to, like Romans 3 talks about, in order to satisfy his justice, this is the way it had to be done. Mm-hmm. Um, so a little bit of my interpretation on a couple things, and keep, keep the bumpers on if I'm not being <laughs> theological or, or, or biblical, more importantly. Yeah. Um, so people think of, you know, here all this, all the time, like God, Jesus is fully God, fully man, 100% God, 100% man. Uh-huh. It goes to when he even calls himself the son of man, which yeah. could be confusing at first in its own right. We can get down to that later. Um, yeah. He's quoting Daniel. Yeah. Um, with it as the second Adam, right? Yeah. Pretty much. Okay, cool. So, we know as humans, we are 100% human. Um, yep. We have two parents, and no matter what, um, we are 100% from our father and 100% from our mother. Mm-hmm. Um, but we're still 100% one person. Mm-hmm. So in the same way, you could think of Jesus, he's 100% from God the Father, so you can take that paternal paternal aspect, 100% God, and then he's 100% man through the Virgin Mary. Yeah, he took on human flesh. Yep. Right. So that's kind of like when he, people hear these, like, they're like, that's not mathematically correct if he's two 100%. Well, that we're 100% from our father and we're 100% from our mother. Yeah, and if people want help on this, go to the Trinity episode, and we yes. explain um, through some old creeds in Christianity and through the Gospels and through the Bible how Christ shares in the essence of divinity, yet he is his own person. So the essence of divinity, that divine essence, that, that Godhead is shared equally and fully by all three members of the Trinity. Yet there are three distinct persons, and that's how theologians have understood in the past, based off of the Bible. And Christ in Philippians 2 is talked about having humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant and dying on the cross. Right. Cool. Um, another little interpretation I have, um, so your feedback needed. <laughs> I, <laughs> yeah. I find this pretty enlightening. Um, We've all, or most of us have heard of Abraham uh, when he was told from God to obey him and take Isaac yeah. up to a mountain and sacrifice him. And, and, you know, obviously that is like a, what, how could God 
tell them to do that. But the yeah, point, his promised son. Yeah, his promised son, and uh, which is a key term. I'll get into in a second. So the covenant started with Abraham, really. You know, the promise is his descendants that we're a part of as well. And so God said, you know, take up your promised son to sacrifice him. Yeah. That sounds really close to what God did with Jesus. So mm-hmm. what I'm saying is, uh, you know, obviously God came in, intervened through an angel, said, don't, don't end up doing this. Mm-hmm. Like we like, you know, you were, you were uh, obedient enough to listen to me. Um, but I don't want you to kill Isaac. That was never the point. <laughs> so the mm-hmm. point is I am going to do that instead. I'm going to bring my son as a full, perfect sacrifice. So yeah, he's not even asking us to do that. He's doing it on his own behalf. Yeah. What's super interesting that's in Genesis 22 yeah. is right before Abraham goes up to the mountain to sacrifice his son. If you read that account, he tells his servants, we will come back. So he already knows in some way, and we see that through Hebrews, he knows he's coming back with Isaac. Even though he also thinks that he's sacrificing his son. Oh, interesting. So he, there's, there's some debate on, and there's some conjecture within the, the epistle to the Hebrews, that Abraham implicitly trusts that if God were to sacrifice his son, he would resurrect them. Oh. Um, and so there's some conjecture. That one's, that one's not totally tied to this. There's, that one's yeah. kind of from inferencing. Um, but then that bull that was given to him as a sacrifice, we see that again in Leviticus. Um, this is the same word used for the sacrifices in the temple. And so we're also given like this foreshadowing of what the sacrifice will be and again all of it points towards the one who's to come mm-hmm. but yeah there's there's some there's some faith on abraham he knows what he's doing i don't i don't think he's he's scared in the sense that yes he's killing his son but he trusts in the providence of god in the in the resurrection of god some way but understands that he's going to come back down with his son so the Hebrew word is it's plural for we will come back. Um, so he knows he's coming back. Yeah. Um, yet another foreshadowing, an example of it pointing towards Jesus. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, it's little bits and pieces of the gospel presented to us in the Old Testament amidst the burden of the law to show us that the law points to Christ. Mm-hmm. Which, not that it's fully important in this uh, topic, like what we're talking about with that answer, but, you know, Jesus is a direct line from Isaac. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't know how many generations. I mean, you could go through that. Yeah. Lots. Yeah, lots and lots and lots. So much time has passed. Yeah. Um, perfect. That pretty much wraps up this episode. Obviously, this is paramount and fundamental. Um, we do wrap up every episode asking, you know, how does this theme tie to the gospel? But the theme is the gospel. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, the reason why this episode might be a tad bit shorter than the other ones is we're repeating a lot of stuff. So yeah, 
for the sake of lack of importance because it is the most important part but we just every every episode really is the gospel yep. so, yeah so do you have any final words on that uh yeah so i mean with with this the the law and the gospel these last two podcasts um it's it's also i think pretty foundational to the way we read the bible and the way we understand our faith and so it's while reading through it's not don't look at every passage it's like well is this law or is this gospel but it's kind of the general thrust on i think a big misunderstood text is like romans 12 1 um renewing of your mind there's a couple of other places in scripture where we have to understand what is the biblical author saying and what's he building his argument off of and we'll see that in a lot of the um the writings in the new testament so the epistles everything written to the churches or to to various individuals where Paul or Peter or John will start off with probably half of their writing on law or the indicative or the imperative, or the, they start off on the indicative. So this is the gospel. This is who we are in Christ. And they end in law. And a lot of people will read like the back half of Ephesians or Galatians. And it's like, oh, these are all the things we have to do. Let's go do them without reading the first half of those letters, which is ground all that you do in your new inheritance in the gospel um and so you'll see people who blend or don't see a distinction between the law and the gospel and they become morality police they become um you can't watch these certain movies you can't drink you can't do these things you can't do that thing christianity becomes a moral system not the obedience of christ on our behalf which gives us the inheritance of heaven so it's I think this is crucial for the way we read the Bible and for um, how we see what the gospel is and what it requires of us because all it requires is faith. Yep. And as one of my old pastors would mention, you know, when unbelievers, skeptics, or even believers have really hard questions right out of the gate, um, come at you, you know, with a really kind of random hard question. The answer should always be start with Jesus. Mm-hmm. You know, let's go back and review the gospel. Then yep. let's answer that question. Because the gospel should answer everything. Mm-hmm. Or at least, you know, start the answer to everything. So yep. cool. Well, that wraps up our episode. Thank you so much, guys. And thank you for tuning in. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, give us good ratings. Share us with your friends, family, mm-hmm. whoever. Yeah, tell us if you guys have any feedback, email us. The link is on our podcast page or Instagram. We'd love to hear questions. We'll eventually have a, a Q&A episode coming up based off of questions that we get. Yep. Okay. All right, guys. See you later.